Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, we thank you so much again for this morning, um, for your word and for how you uh, have led us through uh, this incredible story, the things that you've shown us and pointed out to us, Lord, uh, the, the questions that you've brought to mind, and even the challenges that you've uh, caused us to look at. Lord, I pray that as we continue on and, and come near the end of this incredible book, I pray that you would sustain us, our, our attention and our energy. Lord, continue to speak to us and show us what it is you have even in just, just this chapter today, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in chapter 30. If you need a Bible, um, put up your hand as Cesar and um, Eric have Bibles. Uh, and so you could follow along with us. It's um, always, always good to follow along in your Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to just, just keep this one and, and take it home and open it up during the week when I'm not speaking, and see if God has anything that he uh, wants to speak to. Amen? All right. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1, and this is how it starts. Now it shall come to pass when these things come upon you. Now listen, one of the things that he's saying right here, look, it says the blessings and the curses. He's not saying if these things happen, right? He's saying when these things happen. In fact, what he's saying is, when you forsake me and go out after other gods, when you do this, this isn't a question of whether they will or they won't. God knows that they will. And he's telling them right now, right here at the beginning of this chapter, now when these things come to pass, when all these things are upon you, the blessings and the curses, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind uh, among all the nations where the Lord God drives you. And so what he's saying there is when you find yourself in a place where you're uncomfortable or you're afflicted or you're feeling the burden of your situation on you and the Lord calls back to your memory the idea of you saying like, man, why is it so hard? Why am I going through this? Why is all this? And you suddenly remember, oh, that's right. God told me if I was disobedient, there would be consequences. God told me that if I went out after all these other gods, there would be captivity and hardship that came on. That's right. Oh, now I remember. He told me that. He's saying, when you find yourself in that situation and you think, that's right. Oh, I remember now. God did say that this would happen. Right? That's what that's saying there. He's telling that to them. When you say it, you know, it's... Um, God knew, didn't he? He knew that they would. In fact, if you just flip over to the next chapter, for, uh, chapter 31 and verse 16, it's God talking to Moses. He says, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners in the land where they will be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made for them. He knew they would do it. And so he's telling them, when this comes, when this comes upon you, he says, and you, you're reminded of this. Look what verse two says. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, your children and your children with all of your heart, with all your soul. You see what he says when he says, and you return. The word in Hebrew is turn back. When you turn back. 
There's a word that we use all the time when we're talking about this. You know what it is when you are going in one direction and you all of a sudden it comes to mind like, you know what, why am I in this horrible place? Oh, that's right. I've been disobedient to God. And you turn back. What do we call that? Repentance. That's right. It's the idea of like you're going one direction, which is away from God. And you come to a place where you like realize uh, why, am I, why do I feel so distant from God? Or why am I in this uncomfortable place? And you say, that's right, because I've been disobedient. Or, I did, uh, or, or you know it from the beginning, and you're just coming like, I just can't take it anymore. And you turn, and you decide to come back to God. That's repentance. But I was listening to a commentator this week, and he says, yes, that's all true, but it's deeper than that, actually. Repentance is a word that means a change of mind to cause a change of direction, it's a change of mind that causes a change of direction. And so what he's saying to them there is when you come to, see what it says, when you call them to mind, it means when you realize it, you change your mind and then change your direction, return to or come back to or repent when you come back to God. So he's saying this is the process. When you get to a place where you realize you're not where you should be, you change your mind so that you change direction and return to God. That's what he is telling them to do. Then the Lord will bring you back from captivity. He's basically saying you'll find yourself in bondage. You'll realize that you're there because you made bad choices, that you were disobedient. You realize it. You change your mind. You turn back to God and God says, I will bring you back. I will welcome you back. And really what he's going to say is from wherever you are. You know, but when I read this and I see that what God is saying is when and as often as you find yourself in a place of disobedience and you change your mind and say, no, I got to come back to God. I was disobedient. I need to repent and come back. He will take you back. Why? Why does God do that? The reason I ask myself that question is because that's something that I might have trouble with. I mean, look, if you transgress against me, if you sin against me, I might forgive you. I probably will. I mean, I mean, I am a pastor, so it's kind of part of my job description. No, no, that's silly. But, you know, I might say, you know, I'll forgive you the first time. And if you do it again, I might forgive you the second time. But you watch out, because that third time... You know, we have a saying that says, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. It's like saying, look, you get one chance. And after that, no, 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 no. In fact, we even see Peter later on in the New Testament say to Jesus, Lord, how many times should we forgive our brother? Seven times? Like seven times was like the pinnacle of numbers of forgiveness. Like seven times, Lord. And he's like, I could do it seven times. And, and Jesus says, no, not seven times. Seven times, 70 times. It's 490 times, if, in case you're not a math person. 490 times. God, Jesus says, forgive your brother 490 times. Now, honestly, gang, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to take out our book and be like, <clears throat> okay, um, Denise, that's 350 times. You're getting close to 490. Because when we have 491, you are done. No, in fact, if you weren't keeping track, you would probably lose track, wouldn't you? And that's really what he's saying. You're supposed to lose track of the number of times that you forgive somebody. We have trouble with it. 
We have trouble with that. And so what we do is, because we have trouble with it, we lay that trait that we have onto God and say, I can never forgive somebody every single time. How could he do it? But how can he do it? See, I'm not supposed to take my failings and then assume God has the same failings. He doesn't. God forgives. Why? Because, well, he's going to save. He's compassionate. But what is God? The Bible literally says God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. As a Christian, I'm commanded to be loving to someone or to love someone. But God is love. He is love. That is how he is able to forgive over and over and over an endless number of times. Whew. I'm thankful that God's not me. You should be thankful that God's not me. God is uh, compassionate. He's ever loving. He is love. He forgives. If you, what he says, return to him. And he says, and have I'll have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if any of you are driven out to the furthest parts of, of under heaven from there, the Lord will gather you. From here, he will bring you. I love that because he, he says this. It doesn't matter how far away you are driven or taken by your disobedience. There is no distance that is too far that I can't welcome you back from. And he's saying this to them, geographically speaking, as well as just their, you know, their, their disobedience and emotional sin. He says, there is no distance too far that I can't gather you back from as long as you want to come back. As long as you want. There's no place too far. You are not too far gone. Do you know that sometimes I hear, if I say to somebody who maybe I've just met, I say, hey, why don't you come to church sometime. Oh, no. No, no, no. I couldn't, you know what, as soon as I stepped through the door, God would strike me with a lightning bolt. Well, then I don't want them to come because that would be, no, no, that's, no, you do want them. It's like, no, you don't understand. There's nothing that you've done that is so bad that you can't be redeemed. Nothing. I'm talking to anybody here as well who thinks that you are so bad that you're beating yourself up every day thinking, I'm bad, I'm bad. I mean, I guess I'm going to have to just sneak in. I just got to sneak in and sit off to the side so that maybe no one will see and God certainly won't see. Just, and God is saying, you're, there's no, you're not so bad at any time that you can't be redeemed. There's no distant land that you can go to, geographically or metaphorically, that you can't be redeemed by God. He says, I will gather you back in. It says, the Lord will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess and he will prosper you and multiply you uh, more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And what's the emphasis there is a changed heart. Remember we talked about that last week when we were talking about this, like how do we pray for people now in, in this country and what's the most effective way to see change? And it isn't to pray for changed laws. Rather, it is to pray for changed hearts because from changed hearts comes Everything, everything. Also, the Lord will, the Lord your God will put all these curses on the enemies, uh, on your enemies, and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all His commandments which I command you today. And the Lord your God 
will make you abound in all the work of your hands and the fruit of your body in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your land for good for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. See what this says there with when you decide and come back and the Lord welcomes you in in compassion, what does he do? He rejoices over the fact that you've come back. You know what he doesn't do? All right, you can come back, but you got to crawl. You got to crawl in on your belly and you got to feel bad and you got to, you know, and I, you know, I'm just going to stay like God, God is there and be like, uh huh. No, it says that he rejoices over your return. He rejoices. He welcomes you in. Verse 10, it says, if you obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord, your God, with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The way this chapter up to this point is written is interesting because it technically is an if then kind of a chapter, right? But it's written in reverse order. It says, God will do this. God will do this. God will do this. And in chapter, in verses 10, it says, if you obey the voice of the Lord, and if you turn to the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul. But essentially, it's still works the other way because he is saying to them at the last half of chapter of verse 10, if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then you will obey the Lord your God and his, keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law. And then God will do verse four, verse five, verse seven, verse nine. You see how that works? He's saying, if you will have a change of mind and if you will turn and come back, he welcomes you in. And with that comes all of this blessing that he has promised. Do you remember at the very beginning of the study of, of Deuteronomy, I said that Deuteronomy is one of Jesus's favorite books. Did you know that's possible? Like he had, do you understand like, this old, these Old Testament writings, they existed when Jesus was walking around. In fact, Jesus would read the scripture. Jesus would quote the scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book, probably. Psalms, maybe. Maybe the Psalms also. But he loved the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, you know, when he was out in the wilderness and the devil was trying to tempt him, he quoted Deuteronomy back to the devil several times. He loved the book of Deuteronomy because it holds very big and very important concepts that boil down to everything that we believe about Christianity also. In fact, what he would do is he would take the concepts of Deuteronomy and he would create parables to help you understand the concept. One of those we're going to look at right now. So turn in your Bibles now over to Luke chapter 15. Now, we're going to look at this, this parable that Jesus tells. And as we go through this, I want you to take special notice of the parallels between this parable and this um, information that we just read, this concept of if you go, you, there's no place you could go that's too far, that you're beyond the reach of God. If you turn, if you repent and come back, he welcomes you back. He rejoices. I want you to see all these things in this parallel, parable as we go through it. Now, in, in Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and they're scoffing because all these like sinners and tax collectors are coming around and he's sitting and they're eating with them. And he's going to tell them in chapter 15, three parables. I'm only going to talk about one basically today, but there's three in there. The first one is the story of the parable about the man who has a hundred sheep and one goes astray. 
and the 99 are still there, and he goes after that one. And then the second parable he talks about is the woman who has 10 coins, and she loses one, and she cleans and sweeps her whole house until she finds the one. And in both cases, when that one sheep or coin is returned to the fold or the family, there's rejoicing at the end. That's a beautiful picture also of how God pursues those that are lost. Remember we talked about that last week, that if you're, if you're really set on going after a false god, it's always said that way. You go after a false god. That means you're pursuing the false god. But a relationship with the one true and living God, he pursues you, right? Big, huge difference. Why doesn't a false god pursue those who go after them? Because they can't. They're statues, they're wood, they're stone, they're nothing. They're nothing. But the one true and living God, the one who is true and living, pursues those who are lost. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The parable we're going to look at, though, is the prodigal son. You've probably read this a hundred times and heard this, but it's just so perfect. So we're going to go through this. It says in verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So here's what you got. Uh, this guy who's wealthy, he's got two sons. His youngest son comes up to him one day and says, essentially, I know you're not dead yet, but it's probably going to be soon. And if you could just give me my inheritance now, rather than for me to have to wait until you die, that would be amazing. And could you please do that? And so he's literally asking his father for the money that he would get when his father dies. Now, it wasn't that it wasn't ever done that way, but it was very rare, okay? And it was kind of an insult, actually, too, to the son to say, I really don't want to wait around until you're dead. Uh, if I could just get my money now. Now, the father, knowing his son, I'm sure was looking at his son and saying, I don't think that's going to be good for you. I, you're probably going to make some bad choices with this, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to let you choose to take your inheritance and just do whatever it is you're going to do. And so the father gives him an inherit whatever his inheritance was going to be after he died. And then in verse 13, it says, and not many days after the younger son gathered up all his stuff and journeyed to a far off country. Do you know what's going on right there? Do you see what's going on? It says not many days later. So it's not like he said to his father, oh, give me my inheritance. And then he sat around for a month or two or a year thinking about now what should I do with it? No, not many days. He left and went to a farm. You know what he was doing all leading up to this? He was already thinking about it. In fact, by the time he got to his father, he'd already decided in his heart that he was going to go and live a lavish lifestyle with all the money. So he's sitting there and he's very, I don't know, Uncon discontent, uncontented, whatever. He's not happy with his current life situation. And he's like, you know what would make it better? If I had all kinds of money and then I could go off and I wasn't living with my father anymore and I could make my own choices and do whatever I want and I could, you know, buy nice clothes and have lots of friends and, and eat really lavish meals and, and, and live a lifestyle that's just like, you know, amazing. So that's what he does. He goes off and it says that he um, wasted his possessions in prodigal living. And that's what tells me the kind of lifestyle. Because prodigal doesn't mean um, a, a child that goes away. It doesn't. We think it does. But it doesn't mean that. Prodigal means a reckless, uh, a reckless lifestyle. 
It literally means um, wasting your money on extravagant living. So when it says that he wasted his money, that he was living an extravagant lifestyle. He was like spending it like he probably had a, a big entourage of friends, friends, you know, that were like, oh, we got to go with this guy because he pays for everything. And he's just like, you know, just making it rain for everybody. It's like, you know, when, when, you know, you spend money on your friends and you feel like you got a lot of friends, right? But what you find is the same as this guy is like, when your money's all gone, so are your friends. Cause they're like, oh, I can't, you're, you mean I got to pay? No, 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 I'm done. So he has this big entourage, I imagine, and he's got, you know, all these great clothes and, you know, he's got like, I don't know, like seven pairs of sandals. I just imagine at that time, like, that's a lot, I know. <laughs> you know, he's just got like this, this reckless, wasteful lifestyle that he's leading. Because he made what? Bad choices. Was this a good choice? Was that a good choice to take your inheritance ahead of time um, as a young man and then spend it on a reckless, wasteful lifestyle? Does that sound like a good choice or a bad choice? Does that sound like, you could say it, it's okay. It's a bad choice, bad choice, okay. But in verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Now listen, he spent all his money, he has got nothing left. You know, he doesn't have any friends, I'm sure, anymore because he's not spending money on them either. And so they all went off to the next guy who was going to spend money on them. Now, I don't believe that his lavish, reckless lifestyle caused a famine. But when a famine happened, he was not prepared and could not provide for himself anymore. There was nothing he could do at this point to provide for himself. And so the famine caused him to move even further down. And so this like storm comes into his life and he cannot handle it. He has no way to provide for himself. Now, did God allow or even send the famine into this man's life? Remember, this is a parable, right? So this is Jesus using an example of something earthly to talk about a spiritual meaning. And so is the, is the famine something that God uses in this parable to say, look, when you are in an uncomfortable position, or, I mean, when you're in a, a sinful state, God will sometimes make your life uncomfortable to cause change. Has that ever happened? Anybody ever experienced that? You're, you're living in a way that you know is probably not the way God would want you to do or, or you absolutely know. And all of a sudden you're wondering like, why is, you know, I'm, this is a very uncomfortable place that I'm living in right now. And maybe God is making your life uncomfortable to cause you to come to a place where you change your mind and then change your direction. This is what we see. We see a famine coming in. So then it says that uh, in verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And so this guy now, he has nothing left. He doesn't have any money left. He doesn't have any friends left. He has nothing going. He's hungry. So he's like, I guess I better get a job. And so he goes to somebody who lives there and the guy says, oh, I guess you could go out and take care of the swine, the pig. Now, that in itself doesn't seem like that great of a job. But if you were a Jew at this time, that would be deplorable because they didn't have anything to do with swine at all. They didn't eat it. They didn't touch them. They didn't do anything with them at all. And so you can imagine when Jesus is telling this parable to this group, when he said, oh, we sent them out to the fields to feed the swine, there would be maybe a collective gasp of horror as he said this. So let's do it. Okay. So I'll read it. And then you gasp. 
Okay, and there he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. <laughs> I love that every time. That's right, but see, that you're starting to get the feel of it, right? Because that's what, that's what would happen. And it said in verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And so he's at the point now where he has hit like swine bottom at this point because he's got nothing. He's starving. He's dirty. He's sticky. He doesn't have any more fancy clothes. He's got rags that are covered with you know pig mud. And, and he's so desperate. He's looking at the pig's food and saying, that doesn't look so bad. I could you know maybe pick out a few pieces of that slop and fill my stomach with that, which, you know, that's gross. And he's coming to the very end of himself, okay, which is re- really actually an important place for him. And, and you all, if you find yourself in a place where you're like living with the pigs, to come to the end of yourself. And it says that uh, um, when he came to himself, in verse 17, but when he came to himself, see, he has a moment right now of clarity, which, by the way, if you look at chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, right, and it says right here, um, when I have set, you know, and you come to, and you call them to mind, it's the same thing he's saying to them in chapter 30, when you find yourself in a place of captivity because you were disobedient and worshiped idols and you were taken away and you find that all these curses on you, when you call that to mind, when you realize where you are at because of what you've done, it's the same thing here with this man in this parable when it says that he came, when he came to himself, suddenly he has an understanding Oh my goodness, I'm here in this place because I made bad choices. And here's the thing. Um, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he comes to this place. He's like, I have come to the end of myself. Everything that I thought was a good idea and did has led me to this place of squalor and pig manure and filth and I, you know what? You know, I know what I got to do. I know what I have to do. I need to turn from here and go back to my father. Isn't that what we just read in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy? When you come to this place and you have an understanding of you are at where you are at because of what you've done or decided to do, if you turn, return, pent, repent, <laughs> and go back. And th- this is what this man in this parable is saying is I'm here I don't want to be here. Uh, I have, I, this is what I'm going to say to my father. Um, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And then he says, um, he's going to say to his father, make me like one of your hired servants. And so what's he doing right there? He's coming to a place of change of mind, which will cause a change of direction. And it's, what do we see in this man's life? Repentance. And here's the sign of it, okay? What did he say to his father when he was like, you know, you know, right at the beginning when he was asking for his inheritance? What were the words he said? Give me my money. Now he's changed. Now what is he saying? Make me your servant. 
make me your servant. And so we see a change in his heart and the change in his heart causes a change in his attitude and a change in his action and direction. And it says in verse 20, and this is a super important verse also, and he arose, he arose. What's that mean? He actually did what it was that he thought. He said, I need to go back to my father and I need to repent and I need to say, you know what? I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Make me a servant. And then it says that he arose and actually did it. That's so important. I mean, you could sit here all day long and say, you know what? I shouldn't do this anymore. I shouldn't go here anymore. I should do this more. I should do that. You know, but I'll start tomorrow. I'll st- you know what? I'll start tomorrow. It's already late in the day. I already paid for this subscription. I already did this. I already bought that. Let me just finish this off. I mean, I already, I already bought this. Let me just finish it off. When I'm done with this, though, when I'm done with this, I'm done. You know what? I should, I, should be, I should be going to church. I really should go to church. I mean, you're all here, so it doesn't apply to any of you. You know what? I, I'm next Sunday for sure. I'm going to go next Sunday for sure. I'm going to go. And the next Sunday comes around and you're like, you know, the Super Bowl is tonight and that pregame show starts at, you know, around one, even though the game isn't until like seven or eight in the, in the nighttime. But, uh, you know, I've got friends coming over. For you. Definitely next week, I'm going to go next week. So how effective is just saying, you know what, I, I, I got to do this. I got to do that without the doing part. Not very effective. So he arose and went. He actually did it. And that's where we see the difference. He could have said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise up from these pigs and I'm going to go back to my father. I'll do it tomorrow, though. I'll do it tomorrow. And the next day he could have been like, you know what, I'll, you know what, I... My leg is a little sore. I'll go tomorrow. And he could have put it off and put it off and put it off. So there would be no change. He arose and said he came to his father. Now imagine this guy is walking from the far off country, from living with the pigs. I just imagine in my mind the whole time he's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Please, you know, make me one of your higher servants. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And please make me one. And just rehearsing it over like, I'm, I, this is what I'm going to say. When I get there, I'm going to say it just like this. And, uh, you know, I'm going to look, look, look real downcast and I'm, I'm going to just be really humble. And so, and, and just repeating it over and over and over again, you know. And it says that he, he came to his father. Uh, but when, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. You know, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but when I read this, I just imagine his father every day looking out, see, seeing if his son was coming back, seeing if his son was returning. Every day, I think he maybe walked by the same window and just kind of went, no, not today. The next day, day after day, mm, not today. But this day, He looks out and he sees his son afar off, right? And what does it say? It says that he was like, well, it's about time. When he gets here, he's going to grovel and crawl. And I'm going to make him like kiss my boot. And have you read this story before? Because I, (laughs) no, (laughs) it doesn't say that at all. In fact, it says what? 
he ran. He said he had, his father saw him and had compassion. Go back to verse 3. No, that's not okay. It's going to be one of those days that's going to work. We're going to go. Do you see what it says in chapter 30? It says that he will have compassion on them. See, here in this story, it says the father saw him and had compassion and ran to him. First of all, the father saw him, had compassion, and ran to him, which, by the way, at this time, men of his age did not run. Not because they were too fat or not healthy or whatever. It was undignified for a man of his age to run. It would be looked at as like, what is going on with this guy? But he saw his son coming. You know what he did? He hiked up his rope. They're wearing robes, by the way. He had to hike up his rope. And you know what he's like? He's running through the field holding his robe to try and get to his son because all he wanted to do is welcome his son back. So just imagine this guy's got his like, his, his like robes all hiked up and they're all looking like pantaloons and or he's, you know, he's got them hiked up like this and he runs out to see his son and look what it says and he fell on his neck. Like, you know, he's just like, like, I always imagine it like that but I don't think that's how it went. I don't think it was a wrestling move. In fact, what it means was he grabbed him up like this and it says that he, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. In the original language, this isn't just like he gives him a kiss. It means that he didn't stop kissing him. Now, let me just remind you that this guy has just spent however many days or weeks living with the pigs and then walked from a far-off country back to his father. What condition is this guy in right now? I mean, his clothes are in rags. He stinks, I'm sure. He's covered with mud and pig filth and everything. And there's no way that, like, he stopped at a Howard Johnson on the way home and, like, got a quick shower and a shave. This guy is filthy and stinky and gross. And he's coming up to his father. And his father just scoops him up, regardless of his condition, because he sees him coming back. He scoops him up, and he just can't stop kissing him because he is so happy that he is back. And man, I love that picture. Because what that says to me is God says, it doesn't matter in what state you are in. If you come back to me, I will scoop you up and I will love you and I will kiss you and I will welcome you home. It doesn't, you do not have to get yourself cleaned up in order to come back to the Father. He will scoop you up in whatever condition you are. But, but that son had to make the decision to repent and come back. And the whole way, he's repeating to himself this, this the, oh, I've, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, just make me one of your higher servants. I'm going to say that. And now he's there, and his father scoops him up, and he's like, you know, he's like wrapped up like this, and his dad is like kissing him. And you know, like, do you think like his dad just grabbed him and was like, you know, like, I think he was all over him all over him. And the, the guy still goes into his speech. You see this? It says, and the son, in verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, you know, imagine, he's like, <laughs> the father's kissing him all over. And he's like, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am I no longer worthy to be called your son? 
that was the first half, right? That was the first half, which he's practiced and practiced. And it says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And so the son tries to give him this rehearsed speech. He says, Lord, I've sinned, uh, father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no worthy, not longer worthy to be called your son. And, and what we see is the father um, stops him before he goes on. You see what he does? The, the father allows him to, to um, repent first. He allows him to say it. He allows him to repent first, but then he doesn't allow him to go on any further than that. He doesn't have to like tear himself down. He doesn't have to say how horrible he is because the repentance is enough. And the father says, it's enough that you've, that you've repented. And now I'm, I'm going to put a ring on your finger and a robe on your body. And I just love that. And remember, this is a, a concept. Remember, this is the beautiful thing about parables and Deuteronomy is that Jesus takes a concept in Deuteronomy chapter 30 of, of change of mind, returning from disobedience and being welcomed back in by the father, a big concept to the nation of Israel, which they would know and Jesus knew. And Jesus brings it down to the individual person. And he says, you're this person person. And this is what happens when you repent and when you come back to the Father. And it doesn't matter how filthy you are. He says, come back and he will scoop you up. And you don't have to clean yourself up. You need only to come back. That's so good. He says, and bring the fat calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to be merry. And there was celebration going on. And in the much the same way, turn back now over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And, and God says there, and then I will rejoice at your return. But 11 says this commandment, which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. And it is not written in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. And nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the words, the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. You see what this section is saying? Then in Deuteronomy, and Jesus would say it, and he's saying it to us as well, is that you, now it is not some concept that's so hard to understand or so far away. The concept is if you find yourself in a place of disobedience, uh, confess, repent, and come back, and the Lord scoops you up and takes you back. And it's that simple. But do it. It's that simple, but you have to do it. It's not so hard that you're like, oh, I don't know this whole idea of repentance. It's too complicated. I, I can't understand it. It's too complicated. Well, we've just explained it to you. We've just explained it. And so right now it's as close as your tongue is to your mouth. Your heart is to your body. That's close. It's right there. And so then he says in verse 15, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Essentially, he says this, I've given you this door right here, life and good. And I've given you this door right here, death and evil. But then he says, but this door, look how beautiful it is. And it's gold. And it smells like lilacs. Lilacs? 
or peppermint. I don't know. Pick your scent. It smells wonderful. And there's a beam of light and it shines down on it. And God is like, And then there's this one over here and it's this dark, ugly door with like dead flower vines growing on it and and it's putrid smelling. And he says, pick, choose. And we look at this and and you would think that we would be like, obviously, obviously this beautiful door that comes with life and, and blessing. And yet sometimes and often we still go like, but... Look at all the people over there. Look at all the people going through that door. They seem to be happy. Look at they're like patting each other on the back and laughing and having a grand old time. That seems good too. In fact, that seems better. I'm going to go over there to that door. And the Lord is like, blessing, beautiful life. And we say, yeah, I know, but, but this stinky old gross store has all these people and, 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 and they all seem like they're having a great time. I'm going to go and try there. And then you get in there and you're like, nope, no, no, this is horrible. This is bad. I've been here a while now and now I stink like everybody else does uh, and I need to get out of here. And the Lord says, okay, repent and come back. Come back to this door. The thing is, like he says, I announce you today that you shall surely perish and you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over to the Jordan to go into possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then what's he say? Choose life. He pleads with them. Choose life. Now, I don't believe in coincidence. I do believe in God incidences. What are the chances that on this day in chapter 30, this verse says, choose life on the same Sunday that we have Pregnancy Resource Center come in who advocates for life? Doesn't that tell you how intimately involved the Lord is in our very lives? I mean, the Lord is here. The Lord knew this was going to happen. He's here now with us. And he's smiling at us, I believe, because he's seeing us read, choose life, choose well, choose wisely. And he says that you may love the Lord, your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. Cling to him, that means cleave. You know, cleave is like a Bible word. I don't, I mean, what's cleave mean? <laughs> you know, yesterday when we were cutting up chickens for the uh, food outreach, we used a cleaver, which is like a big knife. You ever see that like big, it's called a cleaver. And that's actually used to like divide stuff. So I'm not sure I understand the word cleave. So here's another one. Hold fast. It says, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may hold fast or closely pursue him. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give them. Man, you know what I love about Jesus' parable here is he takes this concept that's so big 
And he says, you know what? Here's your personal application. You, you, if you find you are the prodigal son, there is a way back over and as many times as you need it. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, for your word. Lord, I thank you for the totality of your word, the Old Testament with the New Testament and how they encompass one another. And, and, and Lord, I just thank you for it. I thank you so much, Lord, for the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. In fact, Lord, you say it right in, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord, thank you. I thank you, Lord, that your love is never-ending. I never really thought about this, but never-ending to me means that as many times as I screw up and come back to you, you're there every time, ready to fall on my neck and keep and kiss me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, as we leave this place today, that we would go out of here thinking about what it is that you spoke to us today. Yeah, everyone here, I pray, heard something heard you speak to their hearts about something today. And maybe their heart is a little changed as they go out. Or maybe their direction is a little altered as they go out today. Lord, we thank you and we ask that you would just bless the rest of this afternoon. We thank you for being here with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.